Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. What a blessing it is that God has given us this time together. And I welcome you, whether you are a lifelong member or a first-time visitor or maybe somewhere in between. Uh, if you are a visitor, I would love to meet you and I'll be outside under the portico after the service. So please do come by if you can. Now, as far as announcements go, this time I really do mean it. When I say that one week from today, we will not be meeting in the sanctuary for worship, but instead we're going to two services, one at 9 and another at 11 with Sunday school at 10 a.m. in between. Children's church and nursery will be provided for the 9 a.m. service, but not the 11, so please do keep that in mind. Now, I know that going to two services, especially over there, is not preferable. I know it's inconvenient. But Lord willing, this will only be for a short while, and then we will be back in our sanctuary with our project complete before we know it. Now, well, let me tell you now that, that we already appreciate your patience and your understanding as we prepare for this short season in the life of our church. And speaking of prepare, we do need your help today. It's an act of necessity, right? Um, after the worship service, if you don't mind picking up the hymnals and the pew Bibles in front of you and then just bringing them and, and setting them up here, men especially, if you don't mind doing that, uh, the pews are coming out this week, hence the, uh, the two semi-truck trailers that are right outside. So we would greatly appreciate your help with that. Um, and certainly we need to remember how grateful we should be, right? I mean, but look, we could, we could meet comfortably in the coat closet. It, 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 that's not who we are. The, the Lord has given us people, right? And he's given us such facilities uh, over which we can be good stewards. So let, let's keep that perspective as he blesses us. Now, as far as other announcements go, there are things happening like a, a trustees meeting today at 3 o'clock, different things that are listed in your bulletin. But other things throughout the week, perhaps you received the one call that Laura Steele went home to be with the Lord this past week. And Anne, her daughter, is with us this morning, of course. Um, uh, such a good, wonderful, long life. Such a reason to celebrate. However, with the Sanctuary Project going forward this week... As a result, the service is going to be at Mount Carmel. So the service is at 11 with Graveside to follow. But we are going to be eating lunch here in Providence Hall, so please do come out for that. Visitation is the night before from 6 to 8 o'clock at Kaufman. So we will not be having our Wednesday evening prayer meeting, okay? So, so take note of that. We'll resume with that next week. Um, also, as we pray today, we'll, we'll remember the Steele family, certainly, but also we need to remember the Gordon family with Bobby's passing. I want to tell you, too, I got a call from Danny Truxell, Carlton's nephew, last night. Um, Cody Clark is, is a, a, a guy that works with and for Danny. Cody and his wife, Megan, um, it's a remarriage, but Megan has two children. They both passed this past week. They both died in a house fire along with two other children and their father in West Virginia. So such a devastating, devastating thing. We need to be in prayer for Cody and Megan Clark, for all of the families connected with them. Now, um, again, such a, such a stark reality, such a terrible thing. However, the Lord is sovereign. He is in charge, and he is working. To that end, we'll talk about some other things that happened this past week in the sermon in just a little bit. Now, other things are going on, um, but I'll direct you to your bulletin. Again, let me welcome you, recognizing that it is the Lord that has called us to this place. It's the Lord that has given us this opportunity in this new year 
to come before and worship him because he alone is worthy. Let's prepare our hearts now for worship as Donna leads us in the prayer. It is a new year, and so I think entirely appropriate that our call to worship this morning begins with the start of the book of Psalms. In Psalm 1, we read, How happy is the one who does not walk in the way of sinners, or stand in the path of the wicked, or sit in the seat of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but over the way of the wicked, this leads to ruin. My friends, what timely words these are as we consider what has been revealed in the Psalms here. But also something has been revealed that ought to give us a moment's hesitation. There's much talk here about the righteous. Righteous doesn't mean mostly good. Righteous means blameless. And if we consider who we really are, what we really do, we know that in and of ourselves we have no righteousness. But my friends, we are here to worship today because Jesus Christ is our righteousness. He did all those things that we wouldn't do, all those things that we couldn't do. He fulfilled God's law perfectly and died as our substitute on the cross. And therefore, through faith in him, we have righteousness. Things are made right between us and God. We have many reasons to worship, but certainly this is amongst the greatest. Let's go to our Lord now in prayer, after which we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together and then we'll confess what we believe as we confess the Apostles' Creed, but let's go to him. Our God and our Father, we praise you that what we have read in your word is true, that you watch over the way of the righteous, and that we have righteousness in Jesus Christ, not ourselves, not our works, not our intentions, certainly, but in your Son and our Savior. And it is in him that we now stand, coming before you, coming before you to lift up songs of praise, to pray, to go to your word, we pray that you would bless us in all of these things, that they would be pleasing to you, that, that we wouldn't do some half-hearted worship, that we wouldn't just be here out of a sense of obligation, but instead recognizing you, remembering your, your blessings that, that are so numerous, we don't even know all of them, but remembering these things, that we come before you with joyful hearts. Oh, Father, work in us to that end, that this time would be pleasing to you. We pray these things in Christ's name, and we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. And now as we continue in our worship, please stand with me. You can take your hymn books or use the words on the screen as we sing together. Number 11, Holy, Holy, Holy. Please stand with me as we sing. Hymn number 11. And you may be seated and children, join me down front here. Thank you. 
Good morning, everybody. And how are we doing today? We're doing good, doing good, doing good. You sound like Christmas is over or something and that it's the new year and school is starting back and all sorts of things. Olivia, if you could see the look on her face right now, it would peel an apple. And that's okay. I understand. <laughs> it's the new year. You know what? Adults do something funny in the new year. Have any of you ever heard of a New Year's resolution? Ever heard of that before? Eh, maybe. So I take it that none of you made a New Year's resolution. Probably not. That's not the sort of thing that people do when they're your age, right? Most of the time, adults make these things. A resolution is something that you resolve to do. And so what does resolve mean? It's a decision that you make. It's a commitment that you make, and you say, all right, I'm going to do fill in the blank right here. And a New Year's resolution is when the new year comes, and, and usually it's adults that say, all right, this is my goal. This is what I plan on doing. And most of the time with adults, it's pretty boring stuff, right? They, they talk about losing weight or eating healthy or maybe not eating out as much, saving money. You know, it, it, it's things like that. And most of the time, they're meant to help. But you want to know a secret about New Year's resolutions? It's not really a secret at all that much, really. In fact, I, I read this this past week. Most of the time when people make a New Year's resolution, they don't keep it. They don't follow it. They don't do what they've decided to do. In fact, I read just yesterday that the average New Year's resolution only lasts three weeks, that only 8%, that means if you had 100 people, only 8 out of 100 people actually do the thing that they decide they're going to do. Now, not all of the time, but some of the time when, when people fail at these decisions that they make, when they don't do the things they decide to do, sometimes that has to do with them just trusting in themselves to just get stuff done and to work harder. And a lot of times we don't do that. The Bible tells us to do something else instead of trusting in ourselves. Last week, after y'all went back, right, I read from Proverbs chapter 3, and it tells us something very, very important about why we should do what we do, right? It says in Proverbs 3, starting in verse 5, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and to lean not on your own understanding. What that means is this. It says to trust in the Lord and what the Lord says and not to just trust what you feel like doing. Now, let me ask you all something. When it comes to what you feel like doing, do you always feel like doing the right thing? Always? That's, that, that's good. I can tell you, I don't always feel like doing the right thing. In fact, I can remember being your age, and sometimes when my parents told me to do something, guess what? I didn't really feel like doing it. That's right. I had a sister and a brother, and when they said, be nice to your sister and brother, sometimes I didn't feel like it. Sometimes when my teacher told me to do things, I really didn't feel like doing that. But guys, what's important about trusting in the Lord and what it says in Proverbs 3 is that instead of trusting our feelings, we should trust what God says because we can't always trust how we feel. And in fact, Proverbs 3 goes on to tell us something else too. It says this, it says to acknowledge, to know God in all of your ways and he will make your path straight. Now, another way to say that is when we do things God's way instead of our way, that's when the Lord guides us. And guys, that's what we should want. We should trust the Lord because, you know what? While there's lots of people in your lives that love you and want very good things for you, 
Nobody wants better for you than what the Lord wants for you. The Lord wants what's best. So I'm going to pray for you that you'll always trust him and follow him, that you'll trust in Jesus and do the things contained in his word. Let me pray. Our Father, I thank you for these children, and I pray that you would not only be with them, but be with the rest of us. It's a new year. Father, though it's just a, a different page on the calendar, let it be a prompting to us to make sure that we're trusting in you and what your word says, not just in what we feel, not just in what we think. And in trusting you, I pray that you would make these children's pathways straight, our path straight, as we follow you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, y'all can go. Now, as they are going, let's take this time to go to our Lord in silent prayer, and then I will lead us in the pastoral prayer. Let's go to him. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, as we are gathered in this place, as we continue in this time of worship, we do so in awe of your majesty and your magnificence, in awe of the ways that you love us and provide for us, not only in the temporal things of this life, but for all of eternity. And your word reveals your will for us. Whether it is in what we read for the call to worship this morning, that wonderful instruction to meditate on your word day and night, or whether it's what we've just talked about with the children, that we're to not lean on our understanding, but instead to know you, to trust you, to follow you, to put you first, and you'll make our path straight. We thank you for these wonderful promises promises that we know that you always keep. Forgive us for those times when though we know the truth, we'd just rather do things our way. Forgive us for the times that we are selfish. Forgive us for the times that we lack perspective. Forgive us for those times when we lack joy. When instead of behaving as your beloved, blessed beyond all measure, we focus on things that don't really matter, that don't really have any eternal significance. Oh, Father, that we would be kingdom-minded, turning to you again and again, trusting in you, remembering that this life is not all there is, but instead that eternity awaits. As we think about things in the life of Old Providence, we know that several have gone home to be with you. We think of Bobby Gordon, his family. We think of Laura Steele. We think of that heavenly worship service that they are taking part in right now in glory that is wonderful beyond our reckoning, beyond our wildest imagination, because they are there with you, their loving and heavenly Father who was so faithful and brought his good work to completion in them. 
We pray that you would do the same with us. But as we wait, let us be found among the faithful. And please, give comfort and peace to these families that are mourning and grieving, especially uh, the Clark family, this unthinkable thing that has happened with the loss of children and, and the other families affected by this. It's, Father, it is in these circumstances that the first hymn that we lifted up, though the darkness hide thee, the darkness of this world would seek to extinguish the light of the world, but let it not do so. Father, we praise you that you are active, that you are working, and that in these situations that are seemingly unredeemable, that seemingly have no answer, you tell us that the secret things belong to you. You take ownership over them and you tend to them. So let our faith increase and again bring comfort and peace. Give that comfort and peace not only to the grieving, but those that are hurting in other ways as we recover from the holiday season, as we go through life and face things like illnesses, as COVID and the flu are out there and lots of folks are in the hospital and there's just lots of things going on. But please bring healing and peace, not only physically, but spiritually as well. If there are any here that do not know you, please draw them to yourself now. But for those of us that do, Oh, Father, again, let us trust in you more and more, realizing that you always keep your word, recognizing the great love you've shown to us in every way, even the fact that we are here right now. So please work in our minds and in our hearts to this end as we seek your face. We pray this and all things in Christ's name. Amen. And now as we continue in this time of worship, take your Bible song books and turn with me to Bible song number 34. It's actually Psalm 19, but it's Bible song number 34 as we sing together God's perfect law. Please stand with me as we sing.
Let's go to the Lord. Our Father, we thank you now that we come to this portion of the service where we return to you. I pray that you would bless the gift, that you would bless the giver, that your kingdom would grow as a result. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated.
Thank you very much, choir. What a wonderful anthem that's especially fitting for today, even though I didn't tell Donna this. I've, I've made a switch. If you've seen the bulletin already this morning, I need to make a correction to it. And no, not because Stephanie, our administrative assistant, uh, made a mistake. She put in the bulletin exactly what I told her to put. But instead, how shall I say it, after the recent unpleasantness, the events of this past week, I decided to make a change to what I would be preaching today, and the anthem fits perfectly with that. It's my guess that most of you know what took place this past Thursday. Um, WHSV was here amongst other news outlets. It also went out over the scanners apparently, and as one person put it, there were fewer law enforcement vehicles at John F. Kennedy's funeral than there were at Old Providence this past week. But in case you don't know what happened, a picture's worth a thousand words, right? That's right, right here in Little Spotswood, our own congregation um, received a bomb threat. Now, nobody rushed out. Everyone was evacuated. Uh, indeed, law enforcement was everywhere. They did a marvelous job, both local and on the state level. They swept all of our buildings in Stone Hall with their canine units. And after a few hours, we were cleared to return to our buildings. Um, everything safe, nothing was found. Well, I say that, actually, one of the canines alerted on apparently an old film projector that we have in one of our rooms that runs off of spent plutonium and diesel fuel or something. I don't know. It's from the 60s. You know, it's boat anchors. It alerted to that. But really and truly, everything is safe. Really. 
Um, the threat came in the form of an email, and it didn't go into great detail other than saying bombs have been placed around the building and would go off in a few hours. And we can't really get into too many more details because it is an active investigation. Um, but when that happened, everything kicked into action, including evacuations. And the sad part is that not only did the, the inside portion of Bobby Gordon's funeral service not get to take place in here, the ladies had been working hard preparing for a meal in the kitchen. They had to be evacuated. Um, we were able to do the graveside portion, but even so. Now, again, we still don't know much, but I did talk with local law enforcement, excuse me, law enforcement, not local, who said that it could be completely random. Uh, it, obviously, it was a hoax and nothing was found. Um, not much of an explanation was offered, but one trend that is developing is that when churches such as ours, and, and we are online, that's what that little thing is right there, and if you, if you ever wonder about me carrying my phone around for things like the children's sermon, the microphone for our streaming is through the telephone, so that's why I do that. But nevertheless, I'm not waiting for a text message or something when I do that. But um, they said that, that when churches stream online, not only does it closed caption automatically, it creates transcripts. People can search online, right? They can Google key phrases. And if they don't like it, if they find certain phrases, something they don't agree with or like, well, they can cause havoc. And while we don't know where Facebook goes, we, we can track views to a certain extent on Facebook. Um, I got the yearly recap for SermonAudio.com. That's our, our other service that we post everything to. We've had 30,000 plays across 49 states and 60 different countries last year. So we never really know where this goes. And we don't know exactly what happened and why we received the threat. But let me put your mind at ease and again say everything is safe at Old Providence. But not everything is fine. Why do I say this? Well, if everything were fine, we wouldn't have gotten a bomb threat in the first place, now would we? I dare say not. No, everything is not fine. I've spoken with many of you and I've listened to your statements of disbelief. Our church in Spotswood, I've heard your statements of disgust that you can't believe that people would do something like this. And I've heard your questions. While they vary from one another, the basic question that is asked is why? Why did this happen? Why do things like this happen? And while many of us have talked in private conversation, I thought it best for us, I, I plan to continue on with Philippians this week, but we're departing from Philippians. We'll pick up there next week and, and be done with Philippians soon. But I thought it best to go to God's Word as we ponder these why questions in order to find some answers. So take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms, to Psalm 2. To Psalm 2. We were in Psalm 1 for the call to worship. Psalm 2. If you have any problem finding Psalms, just flip to the middle, and most likely you will be there. Now, as you are turning there, realize that the book of Psalms really is the songbook of God's people, ancient Israel. We ourselves, that green book that is in front of you, is the Bible songbook. That's the book of Psalms, right, put to music. Um, that's what the, our Bible songbook is, but that's what the book of Psalms is. And it's in Psalm 2 that we learn not only why things happen as they do in the world around us, we also learn who God is, what, what God is doing, and we learn what we should do as well. Important things to learn. Now, we're going to begin reading in verse 1 of Psalm 2. 
But before we read anything, we need to go to the Lord to ask for help because we need it. So let's go to him. Our God and our Father, as we come now to your word, we pray that you would guide us in this time by your Holy Spirit. That we would see the truth, yes, indeed, but at the same time be convicted over the truth. That your scripture would not just be something to have in mind, but instead that it would be real in our hearts. And that by yielding to the Holy Spirit, we would do that which is pleasing to you, that glorifies your name, which also happens to be what is good and best for us. So please, guide us in this time. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm 2, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the sun or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and now, back to this why question that is so much bigger than what happened here this week in Old Prophets. My friends, we've read it, our passage, and perhaps you've noticed that the psalmist begins with a question too. The psalmist begins by asking, look at verse 1 again. He asks, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. So let's just get right down to it. Why do things in the world happen as they do? Raging and plotting. That's why. Raging and plotting. The world around you is raging and plotting. Now what does this mean? The raging part is not difficult for us. We get that. Raging means that the peoples of the world are striving. They're, they're volatile. They're angry. They're destructive. They want to destroy. And isn't that evident in the world around us? Don't we see that? The plotting part is a little bit more difficult. We don't get that. What, what is the world plotting? Well, my friends, that should be evident as well. You know, we're at the mercy now, and I've said this before, we're at the mercy of my generation Right? And, and, and the one that came after me, a generation that, and generations that have built nothing and, and want to destroy everything. And if you think it's just history and monuments, then you've got another thing coming. 
I talk about my generation and the next, but this is universal. The, the psalm is 3,000 years old, 3,000 plus years old, and nothing has changed. No, the world around you doesn't just want to take away certain things. They want to absolutely change our way of life. That's what verse 1 is talking about. They plot and they plot, they plot to bend the world to their image, to destroy anything good and decent, and replace it with a, a fraud. Because plotting is the hallmark of the ungodly. It always has been, really and truly. Plotting, scheming, intrigue, gossip, rumors. These are the chief practices of the enemies of God. And what does this look like? Now, y'all, again, I, I, I don't want to seem as though I have a hobby horse or anything like that, but it just so happens that the number one application, the most visual, the most evident application in our society today of the world taking that which is good and twisting it, the world trying to substitute perversion for that which is good, trying to convince us that sin isn't sin. I don't know if you've heard of it, the LGBTQ plus agenda. Pride Month, anyone? This is a month, a time where we take something God calls a sin and we try to normalize it. And again, this isn't the only problem our nation faces. It's a big one. There's lots of others. But this plotting, you see, that's where it's most evidence. And if you don't believe that, then why is the homosexual LGBTQ plus agenda targeting all portions of our society, but especially children? And if you question this, you're labeled as a hate monger in our society. As, as one internet philosopher memed, right, if you know what a meme is, and I think this is a very good one, don't ask why children need to see drag queens. Ask why drag queens crave an audience of children. But we're not allowed to talk about that, you see, because we're labeled as hateful if we do. Don't give me any of the stuff pumped out of the world. This world that's plotting, this world that's raging about how this is good for children. It's perversion and it's mental illness and it's glorified an attempt to normalize what God has called wicked. That's one example. There are many. There are other examples. And what happened here at Old Providence, I know it involves us, but it's so mild. It's so minor. Y'all, when you look at what's going on in the world around you, this plotting looks like a concerted effort to stop the kingdom of God, to snuff out the truth, to substitute truth with lies, and to destroy the institutions of God himself. And how do I know this is what's going on? Because the second verse says the kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. And that's so important to remember because the plotting and the raging of the world looks like so many different things. It looks like so many different subjects, so many different causes, so many different problems. But the ultimate thing that is going on is that the world is against the Lord. And the world is conspiring against God. To that end, look at what it says. The world says, let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. Now, what chains and ropes could this possibly be talking about here? My friends, in a word, it's the chains and the ropes of accountability. Accountability to whom? Accountability to God. That's what the world is really battling against. 
You see, at the heart of all wickedness, at the core of all rejection of God and His Word, at the very center of the world's mockery of God and the outright war against His church, you'll find kings, rulers, peoples, nations alike that ultimately they want to be free from God. For you see, despite the world's best effort of pretending to have a clean conscience, despite the world's best effort to justify wickedness, the world knows right from wrong. It's built into us. And not only does the world know right from wrong, the world knows that there is a God. Don't ever doubt that. Romans 1 tells us, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God's shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. What this means is, is that it is apparent, it is obvious that there is a God, that there is an order. I've said it before, that's why you can go to the deepest jungles of the Amazon that have never seen the Ten Commandments, they've never seen the American legal code or anything like it, and they know it's not right to steal. They know it's not right to murder. Why? Romans 1 is why. Because we know there's a God. His law, to a certain extent, is written on our hearts. But then the apostle goes on to write that even though the world knows this, it's taken God and it's replaced him with things, with objects, with others' pursuits. And that's why God's wrath is being poured out in the world. That's for another sermon, though. Back to Psalm 2. And the question, why do things happen in the world as they do? The world is plotting and raging against God because the world hates God. That's what's going on. That's why things happen like this last week. And at our very core is the desire not to serve God, but instead to be our own God. That's the real root. If you don't believe me, go, go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What do you find there? You find that the serpent asked Eve, is it true you can't eat from these trees? He said, no, 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 no. We just can't eat from this tree. And Satan questioned God. I love the King James. Yea, hath God said. Did God really say this? Then the serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. For God knows that in the day of the, that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. Knowing good from evil. Now Eve was deceived. Adam was not. Adam took the fruit and ate it because what the serpent had to say sounded good. I'll be just like God. In fact, I'll be my own God. At the core of our natural selves, we find the desire to be our own gods. We get this from our first father and mother. We get it on us. That's why the world hates God. The God it does not know. And the things of God are foolishness to the world around us. I made a Facebook post this past week after the events of Thursday, and many of you commented on it, and in fact, so many commented on it that I couldn't comment back on it. Um, I'm, I'm doing my best to reply to those. So many of you shared it, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate that for the sake of our church, but even more so the sake of the gospel. Well, one of the verses I quoted was 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. That's what's going on in the world around you. The fact is, is that you're surrounded by those who are perishing. 
by people that don't know Jesus, that reject God, that fit right into Psalm 2, our passage today. And they're part of this plotting and raging, and they don't even know it. So the answer to your question, why do things happen as they do in the world around us? Raging and plotting, ultimately. But my friends, and I call you friend because I am your friend, here's the problem. The why question, there's nothing wrong with the why question. It's okay. We need to keep asking the why question. Nothing wrong with that. But we dare not stop with the why. We cannot stop with the why question. We've got to move from the why. I've just given you the answers to the why. There's other answers too. Psalm 14.1. The fool says in his heart there is no God and fools do foolish things. Right? There's your answer. But we can't stop at the why. You've got to go to the what. What is God doing and what should you do? Mainly. Let's start with the first. What is God doing? Because Psalm 2 tells us that as well. In light of the world's plotting and raging and hatred, the answer to what God is doing is found in verse 4 and following. Listen to how God responds to this world that is plotting against them, that's fighting against them. Verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Isn't that something? In all of its plotting and raging, in all of its scheming and warring, God simply laughs at the strength of the world. Why? Because how can the world's strength compare to God's? You know, don't, don't take the things that you hear in Hollywood about who God is, the things that you read in these garbage books that are put out there. Don't. Don't. He's the Almighty One. He's the Ancient of Days. He spoke the world, the cosmos, everything into existence. He can speak it out of existence. Except he's promised not to. The world's strength is nothing compared to God's. That's why he laughs. But there's another thing, too. There's another thing. There's another reason why the world, why the Lord laughs at the world's raging. Why? We start getting the answer in verse 5. It says, then he speaks to them in his anger. And he terrifies them in his wrath. And here we have the reason why. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Now, pausing just a moment. Recognize when this was written, the psalmist, of course, is looking to God's king in Israel. This is David writing this, right? But Psalm 2 is pointing to so much more than Israel, right? It's pointing to another king altogether besides King David, beside some king on a throne in Israel, one who doesn't sit in Jerusalem, but instead on Zion, on God's holy mountain. Do you know who this king is that Psalm 2 is really talking about? Do you know the reason why God scoffs at all the world's plans against him? The reason God's laugh. God laughs. Listen to how Psalm 2 continues. Look at verse 7. I will declare the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me. I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. I wonder, do any of those phrases sound familiar to you? They should. Wouldn't Isaiah, as we read just a few weeks ago, talk about a coming king? Yes, indeed. A king that was coming with an iron scepter. We read that a few weeks ago, and yet there is more, isn't there? Back in verse 7, 
it says that God declares, God promises that king, you are my son, today I've become your father. Does that sound familiar? It should, but that statement isn't just in the Psalms. It's not found in Isaiah. Instead, it's in Acts chapter 13. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. And not only there, we find it in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5 as well. And these passages, again, they're not talking about some king in Israel or Judah. They're not even talking about King David who wrote the majority of these. No, these are talking about King Jesus, who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So what is God doing isn't the question. The question is, what has God done? And what God has done is sent Jesus Christ. And this is the reason why God reacts to the world as he does. Because God sent Jesus for two reasons. The first is very clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's true. You can take it to the bank. It's beautiful. It's simple. It shows us that God sent Jesus in order to provide a way of salvation the only way. And he sent him to a world at enmity with him. But make no mistake about it. This is the part that people talk about all the time. Sometimes they lose sight of the next reason. And it's for those who will not turn to Christ. For those who choose to be their own God. Choosing to plot and rage against God. Make no mistake about it. Jesus will stand at that last day as a judge. For God not only sent him to save. God sent him to be a judge. John 5.22 says that judgment is for the Son. And his parables point to this as well. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us that all must appear before the judgment seat of who? Of Christ. Every single one of us, even those who in their foolishness have said that their chains are gone and their ropes are thrown aside, they too must give an account and woe to those who would stand against Christ. For he was sent to save and sent to judge. And y'all, let me tell you something. God always wins. Always. Now the last question. What should you do? Psalm tells us this as well, Psalm 2. Starting in verse 10, it says, So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. So in light of the world around you, what should you do? Well, don't fall for the world's lies and motives, first off. Don't fall for this caricature of Christ that the world has painted, that, that Jesus is some light in the shoe sissy of a God who says, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, that would never judge anybody. That is not the Jesus that you find in God's Word. He is the greatest friend you can ever have, and his love is incomparable. But he's the Holy One. And the response that is proper is to serve him with reverential awe and trembling, to pay homage to him, or as the King James says, kiss the son, lest he become angry with you. In short, what are you to do? Trust, love, and follow Jesus Christ, him alone. 
If you know him, keep going. If you don't, ask him to save you and he will. And with Jesus as Lord of your life, you will be transformed. Loving God, serving God, not plotting and raging against him, thus evoking his wrath changes everything. And if you've done that already, live a life of service to him. It comes down to this, y'all. He died for you. Live for him. And not only that, remember how the psalm ends. Blessed are all who take refuge in God. Happy are those. But also remember all those who deny him are bound for destruction. And with Jesus as your Lord, remember what he did to save you. He, he gave you his Holy Spirit also to dwell within you as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. And remember who that spirit is. Let me remind you and forget about me. Take God's word that tells us God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. Listen to me now as we deal with the world around us as minor things like this past week happen. As worse things happen, the devil deals in fear. And if you've got something inside your head telling you that you need to respond to what's going on in the world around you with fear, it's not coming from the Lord. It's coming from the devil. Because that's not who God gave you. Instead, God gave his spirit to dwell within you, that spirit of power and love and self-control. The devil always deals in fear. Ultimately, that's why things like this past week happen. But we must keep on going. Remember these things, beloved. And if, again, you do not know the Lord, if you're here today and you know that you don't, don't wait. Ask Jesus to save you, and he will. If you want to talk, I'll be under the portico. If you're online and you want to talk about this, write me, call me. We'll get in touch and, and we'll talk. The gospel is offered freely so that all may have life in Christ and in him alone. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that we know what's going on, that we know what you have done, and that we know what we are to do. Oh, that we would trust in you more and more. Forgive us for the times that we do not. Work in our hearts every day that we would not fear, that we would not just react, but instead we would remember you and in faithfulness follow. And I pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now as we close this time together, let's take our hymnals and sing that great hymn of the joy of salvation, hymn number 503. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves. Number 503, please sing.
indeed he does receive the benediction. May the grace and the peace and the love and the fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and forevermore. Amen.